Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Automatic or Manual Part 2. Tonight we're going to discuss... Tonight we're going to discuss how sometimes we don't even understand how serious our actions are. A little bit of a depressing conversation and that's really going to lead into chapter 31 which will say, hey, won't this bring us to depression? But we'll deal with that in chapter 31, why it's not a bad depression and it's not even depression. We'll leave that. But tonight we're going to focus on how sometimes we don't recognize how serious how serious our actions are. I, I just know for myself that I, I try to be so careful with, when talking to people because you can try as hard as you want but all too often you're misinterpreted, misunderstood. People think you said one thing because your emotions were saying this. But I'd like to begin tonight's class by talking about the life of Sarah. That's a trick. That's this week's Torah portion called Chaye Sarah, the, the life of Sarah. That's a hell of a joke. And it's really a paradox. You live while you're alive, not when you die. So it would have been more appropriate to call last week's Torah portion the life of Sarah. However, this week's Torah portion is called the life of Sarah, and it starts off telling, her and, telling us, and she died. Well, if she died, that's the end of the story. The story was last week or two weeks ago in Lech Lecha, Vayera. But this week's Torah portion starts off at 127 years old. Yeah, very important, thank you. At 127 years old, Sarah, Sarah passes away. And then we, we forget about her. Then we talk about her son. So why is this week's Torah portion called the life of Sarah Chayasara? Now, firstly, to just kind of answer one of the normal responses that come up. There is a technicality which we often think, which is that the people who are coming up with titles for the, each portion, they said it has to be one of the first words. Right? You, one of the first words, of the, and the, the first words of this week's Torah portion are Vayihiyu Chaye Sarah. It was the first words. That's what they chose. No, in Judaism we, are, we know that everything is with intention. So if the Torah portion is called Chayi Sarah, the life of Sarah, that means within this Torah portion, the life of Sarah needs to be brought out. So how is this life of Sarah brought out? By telling us about her death. And uh, Baruch, could you, could you bring another chair, please? Oh, sorry, no, 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 I, I got a chair, I got a chair. Sorry, no, right, right here. Thank you, Gershon. So, here we're going to talk about the difference between Avraham and Yitzchak. You know, our, tonight, today was Chaf Cheshvan. Chaf Cheshvan is the... I'm getting confused myself. I believe it's the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab. The fifth Chabad Rebbe, it's his birthday. Rebbe, Rebbe Rashab. And... What is his name? 
Reb Shalom Ber. Reb Shalom Dov Ber. Dov Ber. No, today was his birthday. I wasn't sure because I didn't hear the Dov. And my children are... My children, before they went to sleep, I wanted to learn with them uh, a saying of his. So we learned a saying. The saying is, he says, challenges are like bubbles. Challenges are like bubbles. Why? Because when you see bubbles, they could get really big. But you just need to poke them and they disappear. That was his saying. And the analogy given for challenges are bubbles. True story. Is anyone familiar with the challenges Avraham Avinu had when he was going up to sacrifice his son on Har HaMariah? Have you, have you heard the story that when he was going up, in the middle of his journey, a lake appeared? Mm-hmm. You heard this before, Dr. Malav? I thought it was a river. but okay. A river, a river, a river appeared. Is this the story no. of Abraham? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. As Abraham is going, in the middle of the dry desert, a river appears, goes up to his neck. So Avram Avinu was like, hey, maybe I should stop. But no, he kept on going. And as it got to his neck, the river physically disappeared. It was the, it was the Satan trying to test him. Hmm. Challenges, that's a perfect example. And this is the example that was given for this point from the Rabbi Rashab. The challenges are bubbles. You just need to pop them and they're going to literally disappear. So Avram Avinu, he understood everything is from Hashem and he didn't care. Physical, spiritual, it didn't bother him. Everything is from Hashem. His wife Sarah was more practical. She knew the truth. She knew that Hashem wants everything in this world. And that is why... Why did Sarah pass away? Are you familiar why Sarah passed away? She passed away from fright and from shock. She was a healthy woman, right? What happened was, her husband says, I'm going to go slaughter your son on the mountain. Okay? So far, like, that's not so normal, but... And then all of a sudden... The Satan comes, the angel comes and tells her, Oh, your husband didn't kill your son, now he's back alive. The shock just. So she died right after the Akedah? She passed, Rashi says, from hearing the news that her son is alive. Oh, wow. Familiar with this, Rashi? Uh, I don't want to shock everyone. I'm going to read you a Rashi. It's, it's a, but let, let's, this is this week's Torah portion. Let's just see for one minute what Rashi says. If I could find. Here. Sure. Yeah, I think it's important for us to remember that until relatively recently in our history, each person did not have a homish. And through stories and explanations, uh, it helped the congregation to remember uh, the particular Torah portion, which the average person wasn't able to refer to because of the paucity of uh, books. Here, Rashi says, Rashi says, I just want to see if they translate it in, in English here, or else I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you my translation, which may not be as good. Um, here, the sages teach that the narratives of Sarah's death and the Akedah follow one another to indicate that she died as a result of that event. She was told by Satan 
that Abraham had actually slaughtered Isaac and she cried out in grief and died. This is Targum Yenis. That's a separate explanation. Sorry. Let me tell you what Rashi says on my own then. Rashi says like this. The reason why the end of last week's Torah portion was the story of the Akedah. And in this week we learn about the passing of Sarah. Because because she was told that her son was actually bound up to be slaughtered. And it was just a moment until he was slaughtered. And then the angel came and said, her soul left her and she died. Sarah, Sarah understood that Hashem wants this world to be to be a world where godliness is revealed and where good is overpowering. Avram, he was on a different plane. He understood that everything is from Hashem. I don't care what happens. And because of that, Avram could handle whatever Hashem gave him. Okay, it's from Hashem. You want this, this, you want that, that. Sarah wasn't able to handle it. Sarah understood that there's a mission in this world. And therefore, that is why this week's Torah portion, which talks about her son, that marries Rivka and creates a home and keeps the Jewish tradition going, that is why this Torah portion is called her life. Because this is her life. Her life was that she had created a family that would go on to continue the Jewish tradition. And this is why we learn that a true person is his good deeds. That is, a true person, their good deeds are who they are. And just to connect it with, with the times now, it is our mission and it is our responsibility to bring light into the world. And if there's darkness, then it just means we have to be bringing more light. We have to be doing more good deeds for others. I know Dr. Malov shares that he himself lived in Squirrel Hill. He was born there. Oh, yeah. Lived seven blocks away from the shul. Well, I wasn't born seven blocks away from the shul. But uh, the last time I lived in Squirrel Hill, it was seven blocks away from the shul. Yeah. So you know that shul? Well, I mean, we, used to, we used to pass it all the time. Well, we used to be, you know, of Yeah. Yeah. So, it's at, so the one thing we could take is we have to do more good. That's certainly one thing we could, we could take from here. Page 138, we're in the middle of chapter 30. We're learning here how we can subdue ourselves. Because we need to be of humble spirit before every single person, man, woman, child, Jew and non-Jew. We need to be of humble spirit. And how can we do that? So previously we learned you could think about, are you really davening? Are you really fighting that battle? Focusing on every word? Are we really focusing when we're eating, before, when we make a blessing? Are we giving as much charity as is needed? Are we... What were the three examples? We had Torah. Oh, and it, right, we, we had the three examples of Torah. 
of Torah voting Milas Chasadim. Are we learning as much Torah as we can? Are we praying as we can? And are we giving as much charity as we can? That was in the positive. Let's now talk about the Sur Meira, keeping away from evil. Page 138, left-hand column. Even in the category of Sur Meira, turn away from evil. So you see, when it comes to, to turning away from evil, generally we say, oh, I don't sin. Today we're going to say, relax, relax. Let's, let's reflect for a moment. Every intelligent person can discover within himself that he does not turn aside from evil completely and in every respect. Don't, don't fool yourself saying, I don't sin, period. Don't make such a blanket statement. We are a hard battle at a level such as described above is called for. We're not fighting. We're not fighting as, I shouldn't say we, I'm going to talk about myself. Maybe you are. Damon, I'm sure you are. No, I don't have, <laughs> but I, I talk about myself. I'm not fighting as much as, remember that person we're discussing? The person who has a burning passion and he's out there, he's, I'm not, we're, we're not fighting as hard as that person. Or even on a lesser level. We're going to give an example. You ever, you, Basha won't understand this example. Everyone else, maybe you'll... Basha won't. You ever heard of something called gossip? You ever ta- heard of some, something called like just good? It's like, it's a really fun conversation. I'm really, dis- I'm really enjoying tearing somebody else up. Are you talking about Lashon Hara? No, yeah, something like... You've heard of such an idea? You heard of, yeah, yes. Yes, Same we're talking about... Yeah, no, that's exactly what we're talking about. Okay. We're talking about Lashon Hara. Now, Lashon Hara... Jewish varsity sport. <laughs> Lashon Hara, let me tell you, is not lying. Right? Are we familiar with this concept? There's a famous concept here. There's a famous misconception. The misconception is people think Lashon Hara is lying. Lashon Hara is not lying. Lying is called Motsi Shem Ra. Lashon Hara means bad talk. Evil speech. Even if it's true. But continues the halach and says, no, no, no. Even if it is true, but it is worthless, sharing information that has no practical application should not be shared. Lashon Hara, at times, and then there's even something called the dust of Lashon Hara. Let me give you an example of the dust of Lashon Hara. It's called Avak Lashon Hara. What happens if I go to Baruch and I say, Baruch, what could you tell me about Yishai? So Baruch says, I'd rather not tell you about Yishai. That's called the the dust of Lashon Hara. Because Baruch made it clear that there's enough he's not going to tell me about. that, That it's, right? So, if we think about our conversations, and we think how, you know, in middle... Maybe Tzvi could... Uh, I, I understand this. Maybe Tzvi... Tzvi, have you, ever, you ever had a conversation where you knew you probably shouldn't be having the conversation, but it was hard to stop? You know, it, at least one person understands me here. <laughs> let, now let me tell you a story. Rabbi Shimon had a father named Rabbi Yehuda. This wasn't any Rabbi Yehuda. This wasn't any Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. The prince. Have you ever? The prince refers to Rabbi Huda Anasi, the author of the Mishnah. And I know, I know you heard the story. 
I need a piece of paper, please, that I could crumple. Anyone have? Ah, I, I got this. This, this, is, this is fine. It says principle. I'm happy to crumple it. Okay, so Rabbi Yehuda got a get. Someone was divorced, and he got the get all, all bent up, and every bend it was sewed. They would write a few lines and sew it, write a few more lines and sew it. And when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi got the get, he was very he was he was disappointed. It's a kosher get, but it wasn't the most the most kosher. It wasn't mahuter. It wasn't a beautiful. Now a get is never beautiful. But what I meant to say is it wasn't the it wasn't written in the ultimate fashion. Why? For a few reasons, but one of them was that the date seemingly wasn't on the get. So Yehuda turns to his son Shimon, who he thought had written it, and he says, Shimon, where's the date on the get? He says, I think, Tati, I think if you open up the stitches, you'll find it. Rabbi Yehuda does it, and he finds he finds the date is on it. So it's a kosher get. Mm. But he looks crassly at his son, Shimon. He's disappointed. This is low class. This is not the way it should be. So Shimon turns to his father and he says, I didn't write it. Yehuda. Yehuda the scribe wrote it. I didn't write it. Another Yehuda. Yeah. I, I believe, by the way, I believe it's Yehuda. Yeah, yeah. Yehuda the tailor wrote it. His father says, don't talk Lashon Hara. Now let's review this story. Number one is, was it true? Everything that Shimon had said? 100% true. Yehuda had written it. Number two is, was the get kosher? Yeah. Did you, even, even if Shimon would have written it, would it have been a bad thing? No. It was a kosher get. It just wasn't the best. Number three is, there is a pasuk in the Torah that says, V'hiyisem nikim me Hashem me Yisrael. We should be clean from, between Hashem and the Jewish people. Meaning, that sometimes people say, I don't care what others think. I don't care. It's not such a holy approach. It's a very holy approach in some regards. But it's not a holy approach. If, if people are suspecting you of doing inappropriate things, things that are wrong, so in that area the Torah says, we want, you, we want people to think that you're doing appropriate things. Because well, they might think that it's permitted or something. Yeah, or, or otherwise we just don't want people to think you're, right. you, should be, you should be, you should look clean. So, Shimon also had a responsibility to his father to explain that I didn't do it. I, I'm clean here. And on top of that, and this was a fascinating detail I learned when I was learning this story, part of respecting your father is making sure your father has no pain. So your father doesn't have pain. And by you, how do you say it, exonerating yourself? By you, by you removing the guilt from yourself, you're actually making your father happy that you didn't sin. 
So for four reasons, Shimon did the correct thing by telling his father, I didn't do it. Again, number one is, we want you to be clean. Number two is, it was true. Number three is, nothing substantial was done. It was still a kosher get. And number four is, because of respecting your father, keep it up, aim, he should have removed the guilt from himself. So what did he do wrong here? He didn't have to uh, name the, the person. Fantastic. He could have just said, Ty didn't do it. And his father wouldn't have probably challenged him. His father, his father. Feinsalt says, for a person on the level of Rabbi Shimon, such a statement is considered slander, a grave sin that one must firmly resist. Yes, yes. Is this Rabbi Shimon HaTzadik? The same I'm not sure. Are you there's someone called Shimon Hatzadik Mishiari Knesset Hagadela, which we discussed in Pirkei Avos in the beginning. I don't believe that's what we're talking about here. So Shimon has a certain responsibility, but he could have just said Ta it wasn't me. He says Tati was Yehuda. And his father says it's slush and heart, it's evil talk. So here we see how careful we need to be. So let's go back inside of the text. Says the Tanya, or even on a lesser level than the aforementioned, for example, to stop in the middle of a pleasant gossip, you're in the middle of a Gishmake Lashon Hara, you're in the middle of, an, of, of a, of a, of a, of a, yeah, how do you translate Gishmak? In the middle of a pleasurable. What was the word you asked? Gishmak. You're in the middle of a pleasurable gossip. Oh, something that is good as Gishmak. Or in the middle of a tale discrediting, discrediting his fellow. Even though it be a very small slur, and even though it be true, and even when the purpose is to clean yourself. So again, even if it's very small, even if it's true, and even if it's there to clean yourself, it's inappropriate. As is known from what Rabbi Shimon said to his father, our saintly teacher, he said, I didn't write it, Yehuda the tailor wrote it. To which his father responded, keep away from slander. Note there in the Gemara, beginning of chapter 10, above a Basra. It is easier to stop a conversation of some exciting gossip than to give up your life when someone is pointing a gun at you. And remember, we said that the power that the person who's about to sin, that is passionate and out their needs, is the same willpower of someone willing to give up his life for the sake of God. An extra, an, a, a tremendous power. Are we willing to use that power in items that come up? Are we willing to stop ourselves from some exciting... Gossip going on? Yisha, are you with me? Farshtandik? You talk a little Yiddish? Farshtandik? Farshtay, The same applies to very many similar things. Ishanda Yiddish or Hebrew? Yes. What? Ishanda Yiddish or Shanda? Hebrew? Yeah. yeah. For change, it's a serious question. I don't know. Ishanda should be... The same applies to very many similar things which occur frequently, especially with regard to sanctifying oneself and permissible things. There's a mitzvah, 
Kedoshim tihiu, be holy. Vihiskadishtem, sanctify yourself. Meaning, that aside from the specifics of the commandments, there's also some general commandments. Meaning, for example, you should be holy. And as we've discussed, one of the one of the details within this is not to drink too much or to act like a holy person. Tact respectful, tact respected. This mitzvah of Kedoshim Tiyu, that you should be holy, does in Machloikis an argument. It's not the first time in the Torah there's an argument. But it, that was a joke, thank you for laughing. So there's an argument. The argument is is this mitzvah? To be holy, a biblical mitzvah, one of the 613, or is it a rabbinic mitzvah? Now, practically the difference, which one is going to be more important? A biblical mitzvah or a rabbinic mitzvah? A rabbinic mitzvah. Thank you. Now we have another argument. (laughs) Thank you. I agree with him. Who's him? Both of them. Dr. That that the biblical is greater. Okay, we'll learn and we'll see who's correct. Do you know how I know? So you read ahead. Because it says so. <laughs> <laughs> An enactment based on the biblical text. You shall be holy and sanctify yourself to the mitzvah that you should be holy. But there's an argument. Is it biblical? So continues the Tanya. I don't care which opinion you're going to go to. If you say it's biblical, so be holy. If you say it's rabbinic, moreover, rabbinic enactments are even stricter than biblical enactments, and so forth. Actually, we need to be more careful with something from the rabbis than something from the Torah. Fascinating insights, Dr. Malov. Mm-hmm. Because your perspective is correct, that naturally we think something from the Torah is stronger. But the Torah itself is telling us that who understands us in our day and age is the rabbis. When the rabbis are instituting something, that has to be even stronger. There's an important point here, though, in regard to oral law. A rabbinic decree can never be less than a Torah commandment, but can always be more. Consequently, it's bound to be more stringent and should be observed. No, I appreciate that comment when we say that to listen to the rabbis, there's a lot of detail in who is a rabbi and what type of laws they could make. The rabbis can't break the Torah. Thank you, David, for pointing that out. But all these and similar ones, these mitzvahs we've spoken about, of talking to stop Lashon Hara, even though it's true, and even though you're trying to keep yourself clean, these are items which a person tramples underfoot. You know what it means to trample underfoot? Before, we, before, we, before David tramples on us, there's a problem. The Tanya is trying to answer a big question. We're now talking about a Bainani. We're talking about someone who doesn't sin. So how can he, so to say, be, be doing these items? How can it be that he's going ahead and he's not controlling himself, not that he's sinning, but he's not controlling himself when it comes to not mentioning somebody else's name. For example, in that story of Shimon, Hatzadik, Shimon responding to his father, did he sin when he said that Yehuda was the one who made it? He, it wasn't a biblical command not to say Yehuda's name. It wasn't, 
But he shouldn't have done it. He should have just said, I didn't do it. So we're not talking about someone here who's sinning. But nonetheless, these are items he's still going over a certain, he's still passing over a certain line. So how can the Bainini do it? And this is what we share. It's because he's trampling, he doesn't even realize what he's doing. Sometimes we get so accustomed to doing something that we do without thinking. That's what the Tanya says. All these and similar ones are of the sins which a person tramples underfoot. Meaning you, you, you don't even realize the ground you're stepping on. Do you, is, that, I'm sorry, is that due to ignorance or just a lack of consciousness? You're just not... A lack of consciousness. You're just not, you know that it's wrong, but you're just kind of on autopilot. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. And has come to regard as permissible in consequence. Now, once you do something a few times, so you're like, oh, it's okay. Of repeated transgression and th- so on. Once the person has begun to do this without thinking about it, and he does it enough, then he, not only does he not think about it, but he thinks it's okay. So let's review, and now we're going to get to the harsh part. We're sharing that someone who is challenged, who is out there, for them to control themselves takes the energy of one willing to give up his life. Before we go judging other people, are we willing to invest the energy that we want from that person? Hashem only gives us commandments that He Himself does. Mashahu, what Hashem tells us to do, He Himself does. Before we go judging other people, are we willing to invest that same energy? Are we willing to invest even less? And now Tanya is going to continue and say that someone, someone who does a small sin, you know, we've spoken over the last two or three classes, we're always, always judging other people. But here, we're going to let you, never, you can't judge. Because someone who knows better and sins is much... Someone who knows better and does a small sin is worse off than someone that doesn't know better and does a big sin. Hmm. Now, I'm using, I'm, I've been a little rough out there right now using big sin and small sin. And I apologize if I went overboard, but the idea is what we're going to clearly learn in Tanya. Let me give you an example. Let me give two examples. Alicia ben Avuya. Anyone ever heard of Alicia ben Avuya? Mm-hmm. Alicia ben Avuya is one of a few people we learn that, again, excuse my terminology, but for our expectation, so he went off the deep end. What happened? Arba nichnas le We learn that there's something called pardes. Pardes is the orchard. Orchard is a reference. Pardes is a ref- is an acronym for four items: pshat, remes, drush, soy. The simple, hinted. Um, Durash is more like expounded and, and secrets of the Torah, all the four levels of the Torah. But Pardis, in a much deeper sense, refers to the secrets, the true secrets of the Torah. So we learn that four people, the Gemara and Chagiga tells us, that four people entered into the Pardis. One of them entered, they saw the secrets of Hashem, and they died. 
One of them went in, and when he came out, he went mishuga. A third went in, and when he came out, he went against the Torah. Um, he started, yeah, he went against the Torah, and the fourth was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva went in Bishalom, and he left Bishalom. He went in in peace, and he left in peace. Elisha ben Avuya, he, went, he was the person who went in and came out alive, but he, he, he went against the Torah. What this means is he understood the greatest secrets of the Torah, and he still went against the Torah. So regarding him, regarding him, the rabbis of blessed memory said that he knew my glory. There's a heavenly voice came out and said, Shuvu vanim shevavim, repent. Repent, my children. Chutz me'acher, aside for Elisha ben Avuya. He can't repent. This is what the heavenly voice said. Why? Because someone who went so far and understood so much, for him to go against Judaism, that's too much. Someone on such a high level, that's too much. The higher we are, the more we're accountable, the more we're responsible. Is the orchard a euphemism for Kabbalah? Yes, yeah. Is he the guy who was on a horse and told his disciple, you can't go any further, go back? Yes, very you know, interesting. Okay. Elisha ben Avuya, his disciple was Rabbi Meir. He had many, many. Rabbi Meir was someone who was so unique, actually, the Chachamim respected it that he was able to learn from Elisha ben Avuya. Even, even after he went against Judaism, Rabbi Meir would still learn from him. And uh, David reminded me of a story where the Gemara shared that it was on Yom Kippur. Elisha ben Avuya was riding a horse which is not allowed. And Rabbi Meir was walking and they were talking Torah. And in the middle of the conversation, Elisha ben Avuya turns to Rabbi Meir. He says, you need to stop here because this is the limit where you're allowed to walk on Yom Kippur. And he continued going. Yeah. So, the greater we are, the more accountable we are. And therefore, how could we go and judge someone else who is sinning? Maybe our small item is causing a greater blemish. And, remember this. That we learn in the Gemara that for someone who doesn't know better, Zedainais Nasa Lahem Kishkagais. An intentional sin of someone who doesn't know better is considered unintentional. This is very, very powerful. That means the person says, I know what I'm doing, and I'm still going to do it, intentional. If they don't really understand why it's what, if they, really, if they don't really understand that the Torah doesn't allow it, for them, it's considered unintentional. And this is, this is something, I think it was mentioned perhaps last week, this is a very powerful point. Because the Torah does say very strong things about people that go against the Torah. The Torah does say how you can't call them up for an aliyah to the Torah. Very strong things. And when the Rebbe in the 1950s really pushed the Chabad movement to really become more global and accept everyone, 
they were very some of them perhaps were well-intentioned people who, who very strongly fought the Rebbe and said that you're not allowed to accept everyone because some people are true sinners and those people cannot be accepted. And the Rebbe responded to them this point, that there is a halacha, that someone who grew up in a society that doesn't know better, so he's called, he, the, the analogy the Gemara gives to him, he's called a child who was captured as a young child from his family, taken away, and then he's brought back home. And he doesn't, so we don't tell that person you're a sinner when he comes in on Shabbos and he's eating his big McDonald's sandwich, driving on a car. We don't tell him you're a sinner. We tell him, come, welcome, we're so happy you're here. You're, he's not a sinner at all. And the generation after the Holocaust, Rabbi really emphasized, and, and still today we're struggling, is, is an uneducated generation. Let's see this inside. Page 138, right-hand column. In truth, however, if he is a scholar and upholds the law of God... So number one, he's a scholar. Number two is he upholds the law of God. And number three is he wishes to be close to God. His sin is very great. And his guilt is increased many-fold in that he does not wage war. When this person, this person who's a scholar, he upholds the law of God, wants to be close to God, and he doesn't stop himself from having those conversations we mentioned previously, his sin is manifold. In that he does not wage war and does not overcome his impulse in a manner commensurate with the quality and nature of the intense battle mentioned above. It's more than the guilt of the most worthless of worthless men of the corner squatters who are removed from God and His Torah whose guilt is not as strong, in not restraining their impulse, which burns like a fiery flame. The person who's out there, and he's truly, he's actually, let's, let's be a little graphical. He's doing one of the 613 biblical commandments. He's going against one of the commandments of God. That person who is, is he's on fire, and he's out there, and he's, is not as bad off as the person we mentioned earlier who knows better and wants to connect with God and is not doing a biblical command. He's not going against the biblical command, but he's still not fighting. Nonetheless... When you say fighting, you mean internally. Internally. Fighting to overcome... Those. That's right. He's not willing to stop those conversations right. he's having. Correct. The Zohar says that pr prayer is war. Yes. Yes. Yeah who are removed from God and His Torah, those people who are the sinners, what you may think, they're removed from God. Their guilt is not as strong in not restraining their impulse which burns like a fiery flame by means of the dread of God. You want them to control themselves by the means of dread of God? Who knows and sees all their deeds? I mean, they're not, they're not holding there. However, you are holding there all of a sudden. The guilt is much stronger as the guilt of the person who is ever so close to God, his Torah and his service. And that's what I mentioned before. As the rabbis of blessed memory said about Acher, Elisha ben Avuya was named Acher, for he knew my glory. He, he cannot repent because he knew my glory. And regarding, however, the illiterate, therefore the rabbis declared in regard to the illiterate that deliberate infringements of the law are regarded in their case as inadvertent acts. 
So let's put this together. Let's summarize. Well, first of all, to give an analogy. Someone who lives in Yehupitz. You know what Yehupitz is? Yehupitz is an expression. What's it called? Yehupitz. Have you heard the expression before, Yehupitz? Yehupitz? Chelm is a city, they say, but Yehupitz is an expression in the middle of nowhere. Someone who's living in the middle of nowhere and goes against the command of the king is not such a big deal. As great as the minister in the king's cabinet who sins, right? We can't compare the two. Hmm. So a person who wants to connect with God, who is act, they, they're a minister of God. They're, they're all of a sudden, they're in, the king's, they're in Hashem's cabinet. And their slight misdeed is greater than the person who's out there, who, who's, not, who's not in the ballpark. Very strong that the person who sins, but he doesn't know better, his intentional sins are considered uh, unintentional sins. Let's summarize chapter 30. In summary, we learned that we need to be of humble spirit before everyone. And we shared how, number one is, are we truly fighting as strong as those people who we think are sinning, those people are fighting much, the fight for them is much greater, we can't compare. And second of all, we said is, let's just know that we're being judged on a much higher level, we know better. And therefore, we need to be a humble spirit in front of everyone, certainly in front of Baruch, okay, I'm just kidding, we need to be a humble spirit in front of everyone, but I wasn't kidding that we need to be humble spirit before Baruch. I was kidding to single you out. We need to be of humble spirit in front of everyone. We, we need to be of humble spirit in front of everyone, man, woman, child, Jew, non-Jew, because who knows, they may be fighting much stronger than we are. That's why the class was titled Automatic or Manual. My, what, the way I viewed it was automatic, you don't, it's the same effort. We're not trying manual, right? You have to try a lot harder. Is that this was my my thought? I could be incorrect, but sometimes we're just on automatic, and we could get much further. But that's not. It's not about getting further. It's more about the. It's more about the person who's struggling, who's do who's doing the motions. But this is going to lead us into chapter thirty-one, which is going to say if we really think about this. If we really think about <laughs> how we're not fighting and, and therefore our, our misdeeds are even greater than someone who's doing some terrible sin, that probably will lead to some sort of depression. And I thought, we, I thought depression is not good. Doesn't fighting, I know they use the term fighting, but doesn't it imply Thinking with your conscious mind as opposed to just kind of like you could be driving sometimes and you might drive a mile and not even be aware that you're driving, you're thinking about something else. So it's like you're fighting to gain control of your mind so you're always aware of what you're doing. If you're always aware of what you're doing, which was very hard for most people, everybody, but if you're always aware of what you're doing, you wouldn't do something you would humble yourself. I appreciate that. That's what we spoke about it within the beginning of the chapter. I are we really focusing? No, 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 no. It, this is, we said, are we really focusing in prayer? When we come to Shul, are we able to remain focused on the words of prayer? 
very challenging yeah. to, to do that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back up. Are there any questions? Yes, yes Dr. Mallory. Why is he saying rabbinic enactments are even stricter than biblical enactments? Um, what, what is the implication there? What do you think the implication is? Um, well, I think he's saying you know, don't violate even a rabbinic enactment. Okay. I think that's what he's well, then, then he should have just said that. This is much stronger than that. Um, but I, 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 I mean, stricter is like putting a fence around it, right? Around it. But that doesn't necessarily mean more important. I would respectfully suggest, from my studies, limited as they are, that rabbinic enactments invariably reinforce Torah law and or are more strict. Therefore, by re observing rabbinic enactments, mm -hmm. it is that much harder for you to knowledgeably sin. The uh, interpretation has been refined, the application has been refined, and it has been helpful in terms of understanding what is required of you. Torah law is not always that clear, hence why Moshe Rabbeinu also instituted the oral law. I hope I'm not making a mistake here, but that's what I've gleaned, and in some places that's what it actually is said in my studies. There's two meanings within, the, within this quote. The very technical meaning is, on a low level, that people will often say the words of the rabbis are less important than the words of the Torah. So the very technical meaning is that a person needs to be more serious about the words of the rabbi than the words of the Torah because of that worry of taking it lightly. That's the very technical translation. On a deeper level we learn that it is more important in a sense, to follow the words of the rabbis because the rabbis within each generation have the ability to point out what's uniquely needed for their generation. Does that make sense? We have holidays that the rabbis started based on Torah interpretation. Right. right. Some the Torah. Say it again. Simchas Torah. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's um, very important. Yeah. Or more. Way more. So how does this connect with the thing about trampling sins on their feet? Is, is he implying that the, 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 the sins that, which people trample on their feet are more likely to be rabbinic? Uh, so, right before that, he mentioned the passage of Kedoshim Tio, you should be holy. Mm -hmm. And that passage, it's, there's a debate within the, within the rabbis if that is a biblical command or the rabbis made it a command based on a biblical passage. Mm -hmm. Again, let me repeat the two options. Option one is, is it one of the biblical commands? Or using a, a passage in the Torah, the rabbis said you need to do this. Mm -hmm. 
So the Tanya is just sharing that even if you say the command to be holy is only from the rabbis, nonetheless, it's more, nonetheless we need to know what the rabbis say is even more important than what the Torah itself says. It has to be based on Torah. So he's implying that the, 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 the sins that are trampled under feet are, are laws that are viewed as rabbinic? Let, let's try it again. No, no, no. The same applies. Let's go back. The same. Do you see the beginning of the paragraph? Yeah. The same applies to very many similar things, which occur frequently. And what's an example? Especially regard to sanctify oneself in permissible things. In this idea of permiss- or of sanctifying yourselves in permissible things, it's an enactment based on the biblical text. You shall be holy. Tanya didn't say it's a biblical command. He said it's based on the biblical text. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so far, is it? A, do we think it's a biblical command? Uh. At this point in Tanya, we do. Okay. But one second, there's another thought that says that it's not a biblical command. It's only based on a biblical command. So maybe you don't really need to worry about it if it's not... If it's not biblical, if it's only from the rabbis. This idea that you shall be holy and sanctify yourself, maybe it's not anything we need to worry about because it's not from the rabbi, because it's not from the Torah. Mm-hmm. So continues Tanya, moreover, even if you say that it's only a rabbinic enactment, this idea you shall be holy, rabbinic enactments are even stricter than biblical enactments and so forth, period. This finishes that topic. But all these and similar ones, of sins which a person tramples underfoot, these would be referring to you shall be holy and sanctify yourself, and the idea of not, of not gossiping previously. The, the whole section previously, which a person tramples underfoot, these are items that a person doesn't realize that they're a problem. They're, they're almost so simple and easy that a person doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with them. Okay. Did that help? Yeah, so, so the, the last sentence here is really... He but all wasn't talking about rabbinic, about rabbinic versus biblical. Thank you. From but all these is going back on the whole last paragraph, yeah. two paragraphs. Yes, yes. And he, you think it's a different argument completely. It's it's the sins of not being a, of taking things for granted or yes, not being yes. Okay. Any other questions or thoughts or comments? Thank you. David, I, I know you had you wanted to say something. No, 